Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy in Leadership podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. In this podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices on leading teams, creating and executing strategy, and fostering the culture within an organization that works. My guest today is Micah Lawrence, who is the Director of Business Architecture for a large insurance organization. Micah, how are you today? I'm doing well, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. My sincere pleasure. Really look forward to uh, to chatting with you, to have our listeners hear about your experience working in you know your strategy background. So before I get into it, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and your career in the world of, of strategy development? I guess I'll start by mentioning that for most of my career, I felt like I've had a foot in two different worlds professionally. One foot has been in the corporate world since I've worked for a Fortune 100 company for the last nine years. And most of my roles in the corporate world have been facilitating different aspects of strategic planning and helping organizations develop a strategy and prepare it for execution. But my other foot has been in the entrepreneurial world where I can't help but dabble in fun, creative projects that sound interesting to me or meaningful to me. Uh, Most recently, I've kind of merged those two worlds by creating a YouTube channel and a related online course where I try to help entrepreneurs in small businesses learn and apply a lot of the strategic planning techniques that I've learned while doing strategy for large companies. So I'm really enjoying that right now. And that's what's brought me here. That's fantastic. So what you're saying is that you can use strategy for organizations like Fortune 100 companies all the way down to new organization? (laughs) That's right. A lot of this came to mind while I was getting my MBA. I had the thought that a lot of my entrepreneur friends a lot of times are winging it and they have a good intuition for business, but they a lot of them haven't had MBAs and haven't taken courses about strategy or done strategy in a real real corporate setting. So I thought, man, that's what an opportunity to share, share the love a little bit, bring people in uh, and, and share some of those strategic planning principles that they may not have had access to otherwise. Absolutely. Well, I'm, after 10 years of developing strategy for a large organization, and I imagine with partners, you got a lot to share. So I'm really excited to have you uh, on the podcast today. And I'd really love to learn, you know, what you have learned in some of your best practices, you know, taking on strategy, developing strategy. One of the things that I see uh, from your LinkedIn here is that uh, business architecture is a well-known and leveraged tool for our business partners. So maybe you can tell me just when you look at strategy, why do you think it's important for organizations, uh, small and big, to be using uh, strategic planning within their regular process? Oh yeah, that's that is like the the fundamental question for why uh, why any business, big or small, would do strategic planning. A lot of people know. Well, I would I would assume that it's intuitive to know that if I don't plan where I want to be in the future, then it's going to be a guess as to whether I get there or not. And one of my I'm actually on a kick right now where I'm evangelizing one best practice in particular because I feel like it's such a simple shift in mindset that I've used with large organizations to help them develop a better strategy. But it's, it's almost counterintuitive to what a lot of the industry has done uh, with strategic planning in the past. So the, the best practice is that I'm encouraging business leaders to stop writing objectives in the traditional sense and to focus more on the outcomes they want instead. So most people are 
familiar with smart objectives, which I, I love. I think they're fine. And if it's between writing smart objectives and not planning at all, I completely support writing objectives. It helps people establish some kind of strategic planning foundation that will help them get to where they want to go and write goals that lead and guide the work that they do. However, I'm seeing major improvements in strategic planning where we first talk about the outcome they want to be true over their strategic horizon. So in other words, if I'm working with someone who has a strategic horizon of three years and we're trying to develop a long-term strategy for that horizon, we'll start by asking business leaders, okay, what do you want to be true of your business or your company or your organization at the end of that three-year period? And if you were to wake up magically tomorrow and three years had passed and you were able to walk around your workplace or read about yourself in the news, what would you want to see and hear? What that does is it allows people to think about not as much about what I want to achieve or the actions I'm going to take to get there, but more about what does it look like when it's done. And then if you work backwards from what it looks like when it's done, it opens up this world of possibility where anything's on the table as long as it gets us there. But a lot of businesses will think, oh, I need to write this objective like, oh, hey, we need to increase sales by 10% over the next three years. And I would just ask, why? What outcome do you get by increasing sales in the next three years? And it's almost, it almost starts this conversation, this five why conversation where they say, oh, well, if we increase sales uh, by 10%, then we get more uh, revenue and we make more profit. Well, what, what do you want to do with that profit? Well, we want to expand our business and open up into other markets. And it's like, ah, now we're getting somewhere. So if growth is where you want to go, what do you want to be true about the growth of your business in three years. So you start to dig into what do you want to be true in three years? And then you can work into increasing sales by 10% is not the only way that we can achieve that. Let's be creative and start talking about other alternatives that could be possible and gives you more flexibility to achieve that outcome instead of just thinking we need to increase sales by 10%. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It really working on the, not the, just the how or the what, but the why behind it. As you were talking, I opened up a, a couple sort of pathways. So one that I think is really interesting, broadly speaking, as we started off talking about strategic tools. So in my practice, I talk a lot about strategic planning. So purely the process of planning and where I hear you coming from is really around the strategic thinking. And I answered a, a Quora question the other day is, you know, how do you foster strategic thinking? So that's one pathway we can go down. The other one that I like how you, you put a spin on, not so much, you know, you hear a lot about vision statements, especially, you know, if you did your MBA or B school stuff, it's a vision statement. But what you're talking about is really like that clear future. So we could go that way. And then the goal setting in terms of the why behind the goal setting, not actually the goal setting. And then what I'm really interested in is because you've been in this organization for you know almost 10 years, your best practices for tracking, as in how do you actually look that there is a specific, when you said major improvements, you know how do you incrementally track those major improvements? So maybe we can talk about strategic thinking first, and then we can go and talk about the goal, the tracking and the measurement and, and how you actually see that future come to life bit by bit. I mean, that's a great segue to kind of move from the strategic thinking or the strategic uh, mindset into more of the planning process that we would usually go into from there. So 
I will often have people engage us to talk about strategic planning and to work with an organization that knows they need a strategy. And they're so eager to get into the weeds of what they want to accomplish in order to meet their objectives. And so they want to write objectives real quick and get into the, the how. And so I always pause and have this conversation first about outcomes. And we talk about what if you let's narrow them down to the top five, it doesn't have to be five, but we'll start with what are the top five outcomes that you want to be true for your organization in three years. Then we dig deeper and we start asking about the how, but first we'll get into kind of the next level down. If you want outcome number one to be true, how would you describe what that looks like when it's done? Give me a little bit more detail. If you want to expand into multiple markets internationally in three years, tell me a little bit more about what that looks like. So I get some descriptive bullets below that really crystallize what that target state looks like. Then we get into a really practical discussion and often just from a process standpoint, I'll stop engaging with visionary leaders and start engaging with more of the people who are really familiar with how the business runs. And I'll stop working with leadership and work more with people who are closer to the work and take that vision that was set by the leaders and those outcomes that were set by the leaders and start asking the people who really know the business, what are the things that we lack that are preventing this outcome from being true? The process that we use for how we derive that information from those people or those participants is we kind of split the conversation into P, P, T, and I, people, process, technology, and information. And so for one outcome alone, we'll pull in the people that have a really good understanding of that. And then we'll ask them, what are the people or the organization or the skills that we lack today that make this outcome impossible today? We dig and we get them to explain, well, we, you know, we need people that know how to, uh, how to do this skill or do customer service, or maybe we're lacking this. Then we'll move the conversation to processes. What processes are in place that maybe are broken or maybe that aren't in place at all that need to be put in place in order for this outcome to be possible? Then we'll move the conversation to technology and bring in our programmers and our developers and our IT architects and ask them the same question. If this is the outcome that we want to be true in three years, why isn't our technology good enough today for that to be true? And what do we lack? And then finally, we'll do that around data or information. So we'll ask a data architect or somebody who has good insight into the data that's being collected and stored, why can't we do this outcome today? And what is the data that we lack about ourselves or about our customers that's preventing that from being true? And at the end of this stage of the process, we've collected this huge pile of gaps that need to be addressed in order for our outcome to be true uh, in three years. So to kind of sum, I mean, we could go into tons of detail about this, but to summarize the remainder of the process is we get all of those gaps. We start to identify uh, which of those gaps could be grouped together because they're similar work and the people who would address those gaps work in similar functions on the team. And then we start a prioritization exercise and create a roadmap that says, hey, look, you've got a three-year plan now. And the beauty of starting with outcomes at the beginning is that this plan that we have and a roadmap that shows what work we'll do when is aligned to the gaps that we identified across PPTI or people, process, technology, and information. So there's this beautiful thread of traceability from the work being done to the outcomes that were defined by 
our visionary leaders and our leadership. And we would never question, or at least uh, the people doing the work shouldn't have to question whether what they're doing is valuable because we already know it's tied to our desired outcomes three years down the road. If you're at the leadership team level and you're trying to figure out what's next, looking at that next level of leadership or getting the different roles and responsibilities to say, given this is where we're trying to go from a process standpoint, where are the gaps that are going to inhibit us from getting there in people and technology and process and information? And what like I hear from your experience is that because you're going to the right people, they're so close to the issue that they're the ones that have the pain, like you're solving their pain. So they're more likely to buy in because it's not like this. Oh, yeah, you want me to help IT across the road? Well, what's what's in it for me? But there it's like, oh, yeah, you want me to solve my pain here? I'll tell you, I got a list of things. Let's do it. Yeah, you got it. So the one thing, too, that uh, going back to one of your initial questions, it's what I just described. That process was kind of a streamlined, uh, noble top to bottom, this is a strategic planning process that's simple enough that that's what I've distilled it down to for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Because any there are so many levels that we could go to, uh, levels of complexity around strategic planning, lots of tools, SWOT. We could do a SWOT analysis. Uh, we could do Porter's Five Forces and look at how the environment is impacting both internal and external. Like There are other strategic planning tools that you know entrepreneurs and small businesses could leverage and that larger companies like ours do but that's not entirely necessary at least to get started so that process that i just described is at least simple enough that anybody could do it for any business now going back to your question before how do you measure how do you measure that kind of that that progress is being made by the work toward those outcomes and that's you just nailed an old question uh, people measure all sorts of metrics that they, I think, often hope are the right thing to measure to tell whether we've been successful or not. And large corporations, in my experience, are no different. Sometimes we're measuring things that we just hope is related to the work. And part of that leadership layer that you just referred to, that we've kind of moved on and started looking at gaps with people closer to the work. Well, one thing we'll continue to work on with the leadership is having a broader discussion about what are we tracking today? Like, let's take an inventory of all of the metrics that you think are important today, a lot of which are probably still the right metrics, but now let's map them to the outcomes that we defined just for this strategic horizon. So we still continue a conversation with leadership. We take these metrics and these measures that exist today, map them to the outcomes that are important for the next three years, and then we we kind of give them permission to ignore the metrics that don't align to those outcomes. And then if there are any outcomes that don't have any metrics mapped to them, then we have a conversation about why are we missing metrics and what are the things that we could be tracking that would be an indicator of whether this outcome was met or not. So there's still work to be done at the strategic layer with leadership, but we can do those in parallel as we move on with the gaps work for people closer to the work. A couple things there. Again, it's it's a process, so not just the two-day meeting and you set it and forget it, but this comes in the week, weeks and months after. What I hear in organizations or where I see some sort of fallacies in it is, can you measure it, is one, 
And how do you gather the data? Because you might have something that you want to measure, but you can't, you want to measure it. You have this KPI, but then you're like, well, how am I actually, A, how am I going to measure it? And B, am I going to measure it? Like, are you going to sit down on your desk and be like, oh, every time somebody comes into my office and has an incident, am I going to tick it off on this box? And that takes like a lot of willpower. And then again, that's the strategic thinking to say, is that important enough? Yeah, I was just, going to say i'm just i'm i'm totally what you're saying is resonating with me uh because i know i i know enough people who are entrepreneurs and have a small business and having worked with a large company the the struggle is that there are lots of tools and companies and people that you can hire to automate some of your metric tracking and to measure uh, or or track what you say is important to measure uh, but those cost money and it takes resources or it takes a large company who can afford to take the time to develop something like that for themselves that's customized to themselves. But a lot of people, small businesses especially, we don't have the resources to do that for ourselves. So it's not just finding the best metric to track that will be an indicator of whether our outcomes were met. It's finding a metric that is feasible for me to track and to check in on from time to time that isn't going to create so much administrative overhead that I'm not able to do my meaningful work. So it's totally a struggle that you just called out for for entrepreneurs, especially. And one of the reasons, uh, you know, give a shout out to one of our partners at Cascade Strategy. You know, they have what I've seen is the most affordable um, sort of dashboard program out there that really works for for small businesses. Um, and then, you know, they're obviously enterprise solutions that are that are bigger. And depending if you're a city, you know, we have Invisio if you're a city. But the, the key part is, like you said, being able to track it, setting up the process on it and from small micro business startup to SME to hundreds of millions to fortune, it's all about being able to scale your strategic agility. And that I think like strategy is about choices and about making time that like you don't want the process of gathering data and gathering information to be, you know, prohibitively expensive, not necessarily with money, but just with time. If I'm going to spend 10 hours a month looking for my data, then there's a gap there that will prohibit you from actually getting to to your strategy. Other thing that I wanted to point out in terms of your objectives and tying KPIs to objectives, and I can't remember if that was the exact word that you, you used, but it's, it's really like a paint by numbers thing. Objective one might have this, this, and this as a measurement. Objective two might be have this, this, and this. And you just got to make sure that the numbers align. And, and what I heard you say is if there's no measurement attached to that objective, then there's something missing there. That's right. And there are a lot of businesses, at least a lot of businesses are already measuring things to begin with. So it is, it is really challenging to just start identifying metrics out of thin air, KPIs out of thin air. So a lot of times we'll start by taking an inventory of the measures or the metrics that they're already tracking. Or, I mean, if you're starting from scratch, you, can, you could Google a set, uh, a long list of financial metrics and uh, HR related metrics, data metrics, uh, quality metrics, you you could find all that on Google and, and at least have a starting point from that list to start asking yourself, do any of these metrics support or would they be a key indicator of whether I'm meeting these certain outcomes? So yeah, you, having a starting point helps, but even if you don't, the idea is that we need to be able to track and map the measures to the outcomes or else you're just measuring for no reason at all and it's a waste of your time. 
Absolutely. And I will say that you can find one of those articles at smestrategy.net and we'll include the, the sample KPI uh, blog in the show notes of this page. So, Michael, we're running near the end of our podcast here, but just before, you know, well, not just before, but I do want to ask you about how have you found getting buy-in? I mean, in addition, you talked about it a little bit here. How do you get buy-in? Like, how do you get people to, to see that common vision? How do you get the communication? Like, how do you take it from a plan on paper? to uh, people wanting to do it and then and then sustaining that energy such that, you know, even nine months down the road, people remember the vision and people are still executing and people are, are moving the plan forward. And, and it's not just a, an exercise that they did a couple months ago. Oh, man, that's a great question. I would say one one of the best tips that I that I would give for how that's worked for me in the past, I stumbled upon on accident. It was, which may be the case. I mean, I think that's often the case uh, with best practices. It's like, oh, we just had this idea and it worked. The way that we intentionally approach it now, which was an accident the first time, was that we knew that there would be resistance with a large organization to buy into an initiative right off the bat, even with top-down support, executive support saying this uh, this needs to happen, and I support it, and you know I require that all of the people that report to me do it. That that's not the kind of buy-in that gets results um, when when you're being told what to do and you don't believe in it. So what we ended up uh, doing and have repeated since is we will find a a pilot, a small use case for how we want to achieve certain outcomes in a shorter amount of time in a pocket of the organization that really needs help. And especially if it's somebody who really needs help, they're drowning and searching for support. And they're, they're searching for any kind of help that anybody's going to offer. And that's when we'll show up and be like, hey, look, we want to take you through this process. We believe it will be good for your organization. We define with them the outcomes they want to achieve. And we'll work through a shorter amount of time, a pilot that brings them the results that they long for and then we'll use that use case as we communicate and socialize to other pieces of the organization and bring that up to both leadership and people throughout the organization to show, look at the success that we had with this one example. It's very much a, it's a sales pitch. This is how door-to-door salesmen get success selling one neighbor by mentioning the name of the other neighbor. So it's, a, it's an effective approach. And more often than not, we're not even finished with the pilot before somebody has caught wind that we are helping an organization see results. And we haven't even tried to socialize before people are coming to us saying, will you do that for us? And at that point, other people are selling for us and we're just managing the demand. It's a beautiful situation to be in. That's very cool. So it, you know, taking that, the lean approach, taking, you know, one small, so instead of trying to convert everybody, get the whole entire organization, because there's just a, a bunch of inertia there, is that, you know, find the places where you can have the biggest impact, have an impact and use that to start getting the ball rolling on your organizational transformation, strategy creation, execution, and really get the, the buy-in from the people on the ground level and then get the ball rolling from there. That's a really cool approach. I've never heard that before. And then it's not theoretical anymore. Uh, when you're trying to sell an idea, we can help you. Here's what it looks like on paper. It's theoretical and it's risky. But if we've done it, it's not risky anymore. And it's definitely not theoretical. And people latch onto that better. 
That's awesome, Mike. I really appreciate that. And I really encourage any uh, leaders out there, if you're wondering how to incorporate strategic thinking, strategic planning in your organization, and it looks like a big undertaking, you know, do it like how you eat a dinosaur one bite at a time and start with a small <laughs> group of people and, and get the ball rolling. And, and you'd be amazed what can happen with a small, uh, a small change can produce big results. So Mike, that's awesome. I really, really appreciate that. As we finish up here, how can, uh, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, I would say I, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, with regard to some of the stuff that we talked about here on the podcast today, uh, most of the information about me and what I'm working on, you can find on my YouTube channel, which is a smart startup strategy, or at my website, smartstartupstrategy.com. Fantastic. And I just really appreciate you taking the time. I'm um, really, you know, it, it's clear that you have a deep experience in strategic planning um, with a bunch of different stakeholders in large scale projects and being able to distill it um, so that our audience who are, you know, small to medium enterprises and bigger are able to take this and uh, and use it. It's uh, It's been really a pleasure chatting with you and I, and I look forward to speaking again. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yes, it was my pleasure. Thanks, Anthony. Have a good one. If you're getting ready to lead the strategic planning process yourself, be sure to check out our strategic planning toolkit. It has video walkthroughs to guide you through each step in the planning process from vision to action planning. We'll also have workbooks and downloads to document your plan and best practices to help get your team bought in so the plan gets executed successfully. You can get instant access to all the tools, all the templates, and all the downloads at smestrategy.net slash course.